Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. Michelle and Friends. Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Michelle and this is session number six of our revelatory walk through the scripture where we are gaining the knowledge and following the action of the narrative but also encountering God's heart and his thoughts towards us along the way. So in this session, we will be going from Exodus chapter one all the way to Exodus chapter 13. And I pray that in our time together, that you will learn a lot about what happened to the children of Israel and God's plan to deliver them from the hardships that they were facing. And also that you will receive for your own life, the encouragement to keep trusting in God, keep walking with God, because truly with God, all things are possible. So in our last session, I gave you a brief overview of the book of Exodus coming out of Genesis and all that happened, the covenant that God made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and how God used one individual named Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, to prepare a, a way for them when the time of famine would hit their land. And so through hardships, he, he went into Egypt, but there he experienced the favor of God. And over time, God established him in a role so that he would be able to take care of his father and his siblings. And so time passes and the children of Jacob, which are now called Israel, are in the land of Goshen, the northeastern part of Egypt, and they are multiplying, they are being blessed, and they are just experiencing all the favor that God has placed upon them because of Joseph. And so as we go into the book of Exodus, we see from the, the first chapter that things have changed. And as we go through the narrative, you're going to see God. You're learning a little bit more about who God is. We're going to meet Moses, the person that God raises up to be the deliverer of his people. And you will also meet Pharaoh. This Pharaoh is not the same Pharaoh that was when Joseph was alive. That Pharaoh was so grateful for Joseph's administration and blessed Jacob's children and um, they experience a lot of favor underneath that administration. But now 400 years have passed and another Pharaoh is in control, another king of Egypt. And as we go into it, you're going to see him and the role that he plays in the deliverance of, of God's people. At the beginning of Exodus, the first word that is used in the original language actually means and. So you can tell that it's the continuity of the action from the Genesis account. In chapter one, we see that the children of Israel were fruitful and they increased abundantly and they multiplied mightily and the land was filled with them. And the new Pharaoh, as I said, he didn't know Joseph, he became afraid of the Israelites, how many there were, and also how blessed they had become. And so he devises a plan to enslave them, to build for him great cities. 
Now, one of the things that you have to know about the ancient Egyptians, that they were very proud of their racial superiority, to, right? So they thought that they were better than other people and that they didn't eat with the Hebrews and they didn't really intermingle with them. And so we see that it is easy for the Pharaoh to see these people, the people of God as less than and to enslave them. And they have, listen, hard, hard labor. And when we read verse 12 of chapter one, it says this, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. And this is the report that we see. And through Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the children of Israel were afflicted, but they multiplied and they grew still. And everybody else was in dread of them. They were afraid of the children of Israel. So the king of Egypt speaks to two Hebrew midwives, um, Shipra and Pua, and they go in to deliver the children and it's a male child to kill them, but let the girls live. But these two midwives did not listen. And when the king called them back in to ask them why they disobeyed, what they say to the king is that the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are strong. And by the time the midwives show up, they have already given birth. And so God blesses the midwives and uh, the people of Israel continue to grow. And, you know, it also says that God gives homes to the midwives. And so they end up having families of their own because the midwives feared God. So Pharaoh commands all of his people saying, every son who is born of the Israelites, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. So the Pharaoh is out to commit genocide. He wants to make sure that the men or the male children of the Israelites do not grow up. And so this is a way of capping the population of the Hebrews. So as we move into chapter two, there are two people from the house of Levi. Now, if you remember, Levi was the third son of Jacob. So down his descendants, Amram and Joshabed. Now, right here in chapter two, you don't see the names, but a little bit later, later on in chapter six, it tells you the names of um, these two people who got married. And so they get married and they have a son. And the scripture says that it was a beautiful child. And so the mother hid him for three months. But when she couldn't hide him any longer, she puts him in a little ark and puts him in the, in the reeds by the river. And his sister, who uh, you will find out her name is Miriam, his sister watches to see what is going to happen to him. The king of Egypt's daughter, she goes to the river to bathe and as she's walking, she sees the ark and tells her maid to retrieve it. And when, they, when she gets it and she opens up the ark, the child cries and she has compassion on him. And she knows at once that it is one of the Hebrews' children. And so the baby's sister, who is hiding off to the side, comes and asks um, Pharaoh's daughter if she should go and call a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child. And Pharaoh's daughter says yes. And so the baby's sister, now Pharaoh's daughter doesn't know it's a baby sister, but the baby sister goes and actually calls her mother, who is the child's mother. And when she brings her, 
Pharaoh says, Pharaoh's daughter says to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. The baby's mother takes the child and nurses him. Now, this is so interesting because look how this is set up by God. The baby's actual mother nurses him and she's actually getting paid for doing this, right? And so when the child grows up a little bit, she, she, he is weaned, the, the mother brings the baby right to Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's daughter takes the baby as her son and she calls the baby Moses saying, uh, because I drew him out of the water. So look at how this is working out. You know, Pharaoh said, every baby that's a male, throw him into the water and look what happens. Moses is actually put into the water, but he is spared. And Pharaoh's daughter takes him and adopts him and he grows up as a prince in Pharaoh's house. So, you know, he's going to get the best of education. He's going to eat the finest things. He is going to get an upbringing that his own mother could not provide for him. But yet he had those that the first part of his life with his mother until he went into Pharaoh's house. So Moses grows up, but he knows that he is a Hebrew. And this is where it differs a little bit from the movie, The Ten Commandments. After a while, he goes out and he goes to see his own people and he sees the hardship that they are under. He looks at their burdens and the scripture is letting us know through the original language, he can feel it. He has the compassion for them. And at this time, he is about 40 years old. Now the scripture doesn't say it right here in this chapter, but it later on in the book of Acts chapter seven, verse 23, when it's recounting Moses's life, it lets us know that he was 40 when this happened. So he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his, his fellow men. And it's interesting how the scripture records this because he looks left and right to see if anybody's watching him and then he kills the Egyptian and hides him in the sand. The next day when he goes out, he sees two of the Hebrew men, two of his own brethren fighting. And he says to them, listen, why are you striking your companion and say, who makes you a prince and a judge over us. Do you intend to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses realizes that someone saw him and he is afraid. And he says to himself, really, this thing is known. When Pharaoh hears of this, he seeks to kill Moses. He, he does not appreciate what Moses has done, but Moses has left. He leaves the face of Pharaoh. He leaves his, his home that he was brought up in and he runs to the land of Midian. That's crossed the wilderness. And he, when he gets there, he sits down by a well. And there he meets the seven daughters of Ruel. They come to draw water and fill their troughs to water their father's flock. And when the shepherds come and they try to shoo away the women, Moses intervenes for them and he drives the shepherds away. When the daughter's father, who is Ruel, hears about that, he is so pleased and he invites Moses to come and stay with him and also gives to Moses one of his daughters as a wife, and that daughter is Zipporah. 
Ruel, also called Jethro, right? He is a priest of Midian. And most likely he's a descendant of one of Abraham's other children through Keturah um, named Midian. And that's referenced in Genesis 25 verses 1 to 2. So Zipporah and Moses get married. Moses settles down in Midian in this new life as a shepherd. And she has a son and Moses names him Gershom, which means I have been a stranger in a foreign land. So we're seeing even in all of this that God is still protecting Moses and Moses, although that life he had before, he thinks that that is completely over. In time to come, we're going to see that God had big plans for Moses. So during that time when Moses is in Midian, uh, the king of Egypt died. So that king that wanted Moses dead for killing the Egyptian, he died. And the children of Israel, they are still groaning out for their hardship and their labor, right? And so we read verse 24 to 25, which says this, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Now, one of the things that is important for you to understand, God cannot forget. So it's not to say that God had not, he didn't have a plan for them or he forgot about them and was doing something else. This sense of remembered is that now he's turning his active attention towards them. He always saw them. He always knew what was happening to them. God was always involved. But here comes the time for him to turn his active attention towards the, the covenant and the deliverance of the Israelites because of the covenant. And Moses, he, when he ran away from Pharaoh and from Egypt, he was 40 and he is in Midian and time is passing. And in that time, him, he himself is going through his own process, a process of humbling, going from being a prince in Pharaoh's house now to being a shepherd and in that hard type of life out in the elements. And for what God is about to do through Moses, this process, this time, this period was necessary. And may that encourage you that in your life, God has a plan. And even in some of the seasons that you don't understand what's going on, or you may not like how it feels, remember that there is purpose even in the pain and that God is able to work all things together for your good. We are coming now to the point where God and Moses is they're going to have this great encounter in chapter three. Let me read for you the first uh, three verses of this chapter to set the stage. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he fled the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. All right, so let's stop there for a moment. It's not uncommon for some bushes to catch fire because of the heat, but something was unusual with this sight because although the bush is 
engulfed in fire and flames, the bush is not being consumed. The bush is not being destroyed. And so Moses decides to go and see this great sight, as the scripture says, why this bush is not burning. And the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, and then he called him by his name from the midst of the bush. God waits until he has Moses's full attention. So the bush burning was a sign to draw Moses. And when Moses goes towards that sign, then the Lord speaks to Moses from within that bush. And he introduces himself to Moses personally. So that's how it starts off. And he says to Moses, well, first of all, his name and Moses says, here I am. And he tells him to take off his shoes and not to come near because this was holy ground where the immediate presence of the Lord was. And Moses hides his face. He's afraid to look at this site as he draws near to it. And when God introduces himself to Moses, he introduces himself as a covenant God, uh, the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he lets Moses know that he has seen his people and he has heard their cries and seen their oppression and he has come to deliver them. Right. He as a covenant God, the covenant keeping God, he has come to deliver them and to bring them to a good land, the land that he promised to Abraham, that land that is flowing with milk and honey. And his plan is to send Moses to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh to let his people go and bring his people out of Egypt. In this encounter, Moses says to God, who am I that I should do this? The focus is on Moses and his seeming inability to do what God is saying to him. But in God's response, God shifts the focus off of Moses and he says, I will certainly be with you. When you bring people, the people out and you will serve God on this mountain. So in order for you to do this, to deliver the people, to bring them out, to bring them here, I will, and I love the word certainly for sure, be with you. So Moses' focus is on him and his capabilities and God's focus is on himself and what he is able to do. And just take that for your life, for the things that God asks us to do in his word and how he leads us. If we focus on ourselves, we will not be able to do it. We won't be able to make it. But if we focus on God and his abiding presence with us, we will see that we are able to accomplish great things. Thank you.